Now I look official and smart, right? <laughs> All right, well, this morning we're going to be in Psalm 47. If you'd like to turn there in your Bibles, and I would even suggest, even if you don't like to turn there in the Bibles, that you should turn there in your Bibles. If you don't like turning there in the, your Bibles, you found yourself in a funny place this morning. <laughs> All right, well, let's pray. Can you hear okay, Jim? Hear okay? It's fine? All right. I believe you. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your loving and grace, Lord, as we get to come and open up your word. Lord, we get to come and, and fellowship. We get to come and worship. Lord, we simply get to come to you, Lord. Thank you that truly you are our strong refuge, Lord, our tower. Um, you're the one who, who watches over, Lord, and keeps. And, and Lord, just love you so much, Lord. Just thanking you for the life that we have in you. Lord, the amazing riches we have because of you and and Lord, that you would continue to teach us. Lord, thank you for your loving kindness. Lord, thank you for your mercy. Lord, what an amazing thought that your mercy is from everlasting to everlasting. And at the same time, Lord, brand new this morning. Lord, thank you for your grace that you pour out in abundance, Lord. And and Lord, as we come to study your word this morning, Lord, pray that uh, as your word goes forth in power, Lord, each and every one of our hearts ready, open to hear, to receive, Lord, and then for the doing. Lord, what you desire to teach us, Lord, what you desire us to um, walk in, Lord, that you would increase our understanding, Lord, our knowledge and, and wisdom of you, and Lord, to do all the things that you've called us to do. Lord, thank you for your love and your grace, and Lord, we come and um, just ready, ready for you, Lord. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, we'll read the psalm, and then we'll break down the psalm. So, Psalm 47. To the chief musician, a psalm for the sons of Korah. Oh, clap your hands, all ye people. Shout unto God with the voice of triumph. For the Lord Most High is terrible. He is a great king over all the earth. He shall subdue the people under us, and the nations under our feet. He shall choose our inheritance for us the excellency of Jacob, whom he loved. God has gone up with a shout, the Lord with the sound of a trumpet. Sing praises to God, sing praises. Sing praises unto our king, sing praises. For God is the king of all the earth. Sing ye praises with understanding. God reigneth over the heathen. God sitteth upon the throne of his holiness. The princes of the people are gathered together, even the people of the God of Abraham. For the shields of the earth belong unto God. He is greatly exalted. So one might figure, since five times repeated, we should sing praises to God, right? Pretty straightforward. Pretty easy to uh, decipher that from from the psalm. And and yes, we should sing praises unto him. And uh, what a beautiful thing it was to have... Psalms sung in worship today, as if it was planned for us, right? It's good. It's uh, good as we come to uh, to learn from the Lord. And the, the Psalms, um, this one in particular, most likely, I believe, is a picture of the millennial reign. We see Jesus ascending to his throne and, and reigning over uh, the earth for a thousand years. Some contend that maybe it was when David brought the tabernacle into Jerusalem uh, to uh, set it up from Obed-Edom's house, if you remember that, and the procession that went with that. And, and certainly you could probably attribute it to that too, but uh, it, to me, seems most likely probably a picture of that millennial reign as he ascends to the throne and and those that make it through the tribulation, those that have did not receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior that live into the millennium, the, the heathen that are, are ruled over, if you will. But as we come to this, a good reminder that even if this is a picture of the millennial reign, it's not something 
that we can now just wait to do till then. But I think it's definitely a picture of, of not waiting till then, but what we can do now because of what's going to happen in the future there, because of what we know, because of what we know he has done, and then how much more we get to do it when we do get there. Because I think it's a false picture of thinking that I'll do something later. If I'm not willing to do it now, it's very unlikely I'll be willing to do it later. You know, we even uh, share that when, when uh, witnessing to people, those that, that would claim, I'll, I'll get to that later. I'll, uh, I understand what the Bible says, and when the Antichrist shows up, then I'll repent. Well, if you're not willing to do it in times of what we would call good, even if you don't think that times are good right now, it is way better than what times are going to be like coming to a place near you soon, right? Actually, we won't be here. We'll be out of here, which is a great thing. But those that try to make that claim when things are even worse than they've ever, ever been, in times past. And, and so I think as we read through this and, and see this, a great picture for us to what we should be doing right now because of who is sitting on the throne. Because God is on his throne. And he hasn't departed that. And now I also think through this we can also see a great lesson on prayer, on, on how we come before the Lord. So let's break it down. To the chief musician... A Psalm for the Sons of Korah. And if you want a neat little Bible study, some great nuggets, search out the Sons of Korah and find out about Korah. But we won't get into that now. That's just a little something for you later. It says, Oh, clap ye hands. Oh, oh, clap your hands, all ye people. Shout unto the, unto God with a voice of triumph. And so clapping hands. It's kind of interesting when you think of Clapping, it, it, it is universally the same. It means the same wherever you go. It's not a cultural thing, but it truly does mean the same thing wherever you go. It's a sign of excitement, a sign of uh, congratulations, a sign of um, encouragement. Um, the I agree, and, and you can just think of all the times when you clap your hands, right? That you're in agreement uh, with what someone maybe has said or the excitement at a, even at a, at a sporting event, right? How easy it is to, to clap along when, when they tell you to clap your hands and everyone, oh, yeah. But how much more so when we come to the Lord? Um, I remember when I lived overseas, everywhere else in the country or in the world, it seems, when you fly on their airlines, they always clap when you land. And there's a round of applause as, as they land. I guess they're, they're thankful that they made it safe. Or I'm not sure what it was. But um, I played basketball in high school. And we got to play other American schools around Europe. And we flew to, we got to go to Greece. So we flew into Athens, Greece, uh, the, the whole team. And we land. And everyone does the initial clapping. And some jokesters started clapping again. And so the whole plane clapped again. And then did it again. And the whole plane claps again. It was probably at least five or six times that that kept going on. <laughs> it, funny to, to consider, but just how everyone just kept going along with it. And then I think it ended by uh, someone looking out the window and uh, seeing the, the Greek airport and the, the writing there. It's like, hey, what's that, all that mean? And the other person looked and said, I don't know. It's all Greek to me. But, <laughs> yep, that would end any sort of uh, shenanigans, right? <laughs> but just the, the excitement of clapping and, and really what it means. And, uh, and not only that, the uh, shout unto God with the voice of triumph. That's pretty exciting because of the victory he has won, right? And as going through this psalm and, and studying out and, and coming to that, it reminded me of in Second Corinthians, it, it speaks about uh, 
victory. And, and we'll look at those verses here in just a minute. But uh, and the triumph parade, you know, the the focus on on the verse. And well, let's turn there. Second Corinthians, chapter two, and picking it up at verse fourteen. So Second Corinthians, chapter two. Verse 14 says, Now thanks be unto God, which always causeth us to triumph in Christ, and maketh manifest the savor of his knowledge by us in every place. And the picture there that, that causes us to triumph in Christ is a picture of what was known in the Romans' time as the triumph parade. And just relating to, to that picture and We'll just talk briefly about it, but if you really want a wonderful Bible study on the, the Triumph Parade, David Guzik in the uh, Calvary Chapel Fargo, guest teachers, uh, it's just a few down, probably like five down the list or so, but an amazing study on this this Triumph Parade and really what it pictured. And and what it was is is when a general one battles and and one glory for Rome and and they would have this triumph parade and it take years to put together and it was the festival of of all festivals to go watch and an amazing parade and the general was was highlighted in it and you had the all the captives that were there they were showing them off um who they conquered and uh, who was about to be basically put to death and uh, these conquered people. And then you had all the soldiers marching. And you can just imagine what a picture that would be. Uh, I like parades and, and watching that, but just all marching. And they'd all be shouting victory, you know, honoring the general. And as Paul writes to, to the Corinthians, the, the picture's not to a Roman general, but to Jesus Christ. We get to march in that amazing parade and shout that victory pointing to Jesus Christ and, and how he is the one that has won that. And, you know, I think of marching in parades and reminded me of, of times past when I got to march in parades. You know, when I played Little League way long time ago, I remember Memorial Day. I think it was Memorial Day. Uh, the town I grew up in, we would have a, a big parade and all the little league teams could could march in that and just the excitement of of being part of that and and people watching and and even though you know we'd look back and think oh little league who cares about that but when you're marching on that little league team you feel pretty important and pretty excited because you have your brand new uniform and I remember just even thinking of the pictures of of those uniforms it'd be Laughable now just because just a T-shirt basically with whoever sponsored and, and your team name on it. But uh, I remember the baseball pants and, and the stirrup socks. That was my, for whatever reason, that was my favorite thing, to have those stirrup socks on. And if you remember the, the old-timey baseballs, the, the stirrups that they would wear, because you'd feel like you're part of them. Like, like somehow like I'm just as cool as, as the major leaguers wearing these cool stirrup socks. Because when do you wear stirrup socks? Well, for no other reason than play baseball. So you feel special. And you get to march in that parade and, and you feel pretty excited. And, and then I went to the Virginia Military Institute and boy, did I march in a lot of parades. <laughs> And that parade was a little different, and, and the uniforms were much different. And it was the, the, the wool coatee, so it was very tight, fitting, you know, perfectly fitting sort of jacket, and the uh, starch white pants and crisp, and, and actually they would press them with so much starch that when you picked them up, you'd have to, to open up the pants. <laughs> it was something else. But you, you know, super pressed, and you had the brass and and the and the shine to that, and you got to do a lot of brassoing with all those brass pieces, and use your gloves so you don't put smudges on them, and and then everything decked out right, and you had your rifle and the big black hat with the shako, and uh, marching out in that nice hot Virginia afternoon and wool. Big black hats. Yeah, it was pretty, uh, pretty warm. But 
when you're in it and you're marching out and and the glitter of the sun off the brass and just looks smart and you go through your manual of arms and everyone does it right you know it's one sound and just what an amazing display and you get to march through that and and you feel special in that too yeah because all of us marching in it we know everything that goes into it and the hours and the hours and the hours of of practice and being yelled at and screamed at and cleaning and cleaning and and shining and polishing the the shoes that you wear and and making sure that the manual of arms is crisp and right and and the order and just everything to the t and and marching by and and knowing uh, all those people out there, they have no idea. They couldn't do what we do. And probably people in the stands are like, oh, that looks easy to do. And But again, marching in the parade, it just the emotions that it evokes, but how much greater this triumph parade where Jesus is the general because he's the one that's won the victory. And as we consider this psalm, shout unto God with a voice of triumph and just victory, victory. And this is all for Jesus, what he has done for us. And we get to march in that parade now. Colossians uh, chapter 2, read a few verses from that too, that that speaks of uh, because in the triumph parade, uh, you had the, the enemy that was defeated. They were put on display to show uh, who these people were and, and how they had been conquered and how they are subjected uh, to, to the conquering general. Uh, Colossians chapter 2, starting at uh, verse 13, 13 through 15, says, And you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them, openly triumphing over them in it. What a display, that that victory pray. All the enemy, all the... Demons, if you will, the because uh, I think it's Isaiah who points out you know when that the devil's revealed, what's everyone going to say? Him? He was the one. He was the one that I was afraid of, or I did this or that. But there, that picture in Colossians, just on display, just defeated, no match, no nothing, no whatsoever. And for us, as, as we consider the victory parade, the triumph parade, and, and the shouting of victory, and the pointing to Jesus Christ because of what he's done, he did that so that the handwriting that was written against us, nailed to the cross, nothing that we have done ever held accountable to us when we received Jesus Christ. Because he did it. I mean, how can we not shout victory? How can we not be excited? How can we not clap our hands? Romans 8.37 says that we're more than conquerors. I always find that fascinating to consider because you consider if you've conquered something, you've conquered it, right? How can you be more than a conqueror? But it says we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. What an amazing thought. Everyday victory, right? So should we come into church that way, clapping our hands and excited and shouting victory and and just as if the Super Bowl was won, right? And you just think of how easy um, everyone can, can fall into we might say making a fool of themselves or yelling and shouting and, and jeering, doing all those things. But yet, it's easy to do for, for sports, right? Why not easy for Jesus Christ? For the victory that we have in him. And what if we enter each day that way? The triumph parade. What about all through the day being reminded of the triumph parade? And the victory. Um, 
I have a, a boss at work who who likes to ask if it's around the weekend, if, if we're talking, if I have any big plans for the weekend. And I have consistently given him the same answer. Yeah, the biggest plans that you can have. No, you, you can't top these plans. But on Sunday, I'm going to meet up and we're going to worship Jesus. And we're going to study his word. <laughs> He's like, oh, okay, yeah. He's like, you can't get bigger than that, can you? So actually this week, he asked about, he said, do you have any big plans this week? And he said, I know what you're doing Sunday. <laughs> so he wasn't asking about what I was doing Sunday. I didn't say it, but the thought came to me later. It's like, oh, so he was just asking for my little plans. Because those are really inconsequential in the end to what we get to truly do now. So eh, the little plans, yeah, that, this and that, and um, but so I I find humor in that, I guess. <laughs> but big plans. Now I'm not talking about being fake coming in like we're doing a pep rally, like we have to gen up some sort of fake sort of rah rah rah. But really that true excitement of who the Lord is, what He's done, and wow, we get to we get to do this. We get to do this now. We get to, to, to practice now, right? And he knows our heart. So he knows if we were trying to put a big show on it or to try to fake people out. And, and he knows our heart um, just with, with how we are. Um, but it's really, can we just have this natural outflow of worship? where it is an excitement as we get together, as we have prayer meetings, as we get alone with the Lord in our prayer closet, as, as we get to do all these things, this natural outflow of, wow, I get to do this. And it's not fake. It's, uh, like At my high school, our class, when we had pep rallies, and I don't even know how it this started or how it, everyone went with it, but my particular class, the class of, 1990, <laughs> through, let's see, I was there, sophomore, junior, and senior. So they'd go through freshman, sophomore, you know, and everyone cheers and woo, and they'd get to our class, and we would all just wave. No one said a word. It was kind of funny, but I know there was a couple kids that were really upset about it. I think they joined the other one, so they could cheer and, and jeer. But but there's no reason for us to come into church that way, right? Oh, I'm not going to say a word. <laughs> Just the opposite of it, but the excitement of what we get to do. And, and that's why I like this shout unto God with the voice of triumph, because it is his victory. And we get to, to be in that. Now, you think of the parade, you think of, the parade uniform, much different than the utility uniform. You know, the parade uniform would not be good in battle. So when I was at VMI or even in the Air Force, you wouldn't wear that uniform into battle because it was, especially the, the wool and, and all that, just not, uh, not easy to move around and not easy to maintain the high shine and, and all that. So you had different uniforms. You know, you had your utility or one that you'd go to battle in, and then you had your nice one. You wouldn't mix the two because uh, that's not easy to take care of <laughs> or to try to maintain, but you had two. The Little League parades, why did they have that at the beginning? Well, because you only had one T-shirt and one pair of pants, or at least that's all I had. By the end of the year, if you had a parade, it'd be all stained and ripped and, and whatnot. Who would want to see that? <laughs> but the victory parade, the, the parade of triumph and giving God all the glory. In verse 2, as we continue on in Psalm 47, For the Lord Most High is terrible. He is a great king over all the earth. Now, terrible, you probably might see it in your translation, awesome. So terrible in those days isn't really how we use the word today. 
And in fact, even uh, in the French language today, terrible is a good adjective, not a bad adjective. But uh, terrible, awesome. In the Hebrew, the definition is to cause astonishment and awe. Is really kind of a good depiction of it. Webster's defines it, Webster's 1828, adapted to impress dread or solemn awe and reverence. And that is, I think, a great picture. Because omnipotence, all-powerful, right? On the one hand, terrible to crush, right? Omnipotence would be able to, to smash, destroy anything. Nothing could stand in its way. And that's where you would have that that impressive, if you will, dread. Like, wow, I would not want to get in the way of that. But on the the other hand, omnipotence, which that powerful to destroy, is also that mighty to protect. And we get to come into that solemn awe and reverence of that mighty protection. We get, we're protected under that we're not under the wrath right i mean how fearful would that be and that's how that that whole idea of the fear of the lord because there is that notion that there is that easy to destroy right but on the flip side why would we ever want to do something that would hurt the father that would bring that sort of uh, thing and and then also the excitement of knowing yeah, that's my dad. You know, if you're a little kid, if you ever got in a, an argument with someone, if you ever resorted to, well, my dad can beat up your dad, and, uh, and but how much greater our heavenly Father? So when the enemy comes to to try to strike fear or dread into your life, you're going to lose this. You're going to have to do that. You're going to be taken away. You're going to whatever it happens to be. Well, I know my father is there to protect. And whatever I go through, guess who I'll be with? Or who will really be with me? He will be with me. If you get like good reminders, the, the, the life of Joseph. Slave, what did it say? And the Lord was with him. Thrown in prison, the Lord was with him. How did he make it through? The Lord was with him. And he lived a life unto him. So the Lord most God. Uh, most high is terrible. And also that picture of the good shepherd as well, right? Just how awesome our good shepherd is. The one who protects, the one who uh, beats down the, the lion or the, the, uh, the bear that would try to come and snatch the wolves, uh, whatever it happens to be, there to, to smash them and protect. And the loving hand that, that brings the sheep to the good pasture to the good water, and the one who also is able to to lead and to guide and to correct as needed. And you never fear, but always there. And what a picture. Verse 3, He shall subdue the people under us and the nations under our feet. He shall choose our inheritance for us, the excellency of Jacob, whom he loved. I just ponder on verse 4. He shall choose our inheritance for us. I'm so very glad for that verse. That it's not up to me to choose. I don't have to choose because my choice my choice would would be so below what he has. Would be so less because I can't imagine that much. And in fact, you uh, you. Think about the the verse in Ephesians, how he does exceedingly abundantly above all that I ask or think. And so I can leave the choice up to him, which is a great thing. What a verse. We take the, the, the latter end first, the excellency of Jacob, whom he loved. You think of Jacob. He loved Jacob, right? Do you remember what Jacob, his name means? Supplanter, heel catcher. Or as I like how someone relays it, dirty, rotten, sneaky thief. Because that's what he was. He was a conniver. And yet, what does God say? He loves Jacob. And I like 
when we see that in in Scripture, that reminder, he loved Jacob because now I can consider myself. I would classify myself as, as even worse than Jacob. Just the vileness of what I know my own heart is capable of. And I still don't even know the depths of it, as Jeremiah reminds us that. Who can know? The heart is deceitfully wicked. Who can know it? And the depths that I do know of it, horrible to think about. Just the the thoughts and the ideas that come to my own mind. is like, oh, where is that coming from? And But yet, just how much he loves us and what he did for us. And the excellency of Jacob, whom he loved. Now, the excellency of Jacob is really picturing the land, the land of Israel, his promise that that he gave. And, And Israel, which we know that Jacob was renamed to, right? Remember when he was wrestling at the, uh, the river Jabbok and the last Israel trip we got to go where most likely that place was right there. We got to go to the river Jabbok. And maybe, uh, who knows where that spot was, but hey, we were at the river. That was pretty neat. But there he was wrestling, right? And the Lord finally gets him and says, what's your name? He says, my name is Jacob. You know, the last time he'd been asked what his name was, he lied to Isaac. And now he finally admits to who he is. And then God says, your name is now Israel, governed by God, or God rules. And the land, that's what the land was named God rules, and it was supposed to be that place where God rules, and and everyone just follows that. Joshua chapter 21, so after all their wilderness wanderings and and, uh, finally able to get into the land, uh, to the promise that God, God gave. Joshua 21, verses 43 through 45. Says, and the land, or excuse me, and the Lord gave unto Israel all the land which he sware to give unto their fathers, and they possessed it and dwelt therein. And the Lord gave them rest round about, according to all that he sware unto their fathers. And there stood not a man of all their enemies before them. The Lord delivered all their enemies into their hand. There failed not aught of any good thing which the Lord had spoken unto the house of Israel, all came to pass. Now, what a nugget of a verse. If that's something that you hadn't come across in a while, maybe forgot about, or or didn't even know that was there. What's it say? There failed not aught of any good thing which the Lord had spoken unto the house of Israel. Nothing failed. All came to pass. He promised. He gave. And here they come into the land, and there it is. He fails not. And if you consider that to what we have now in Jesus Christ, think of all the riches that you truly have in him right now. All the promises that he has written in his word about what we have right now. And to be reminded that he fails not all came to pass. All those good things. Think of the Levites. What was their promise? You know, as they're doling out the land. Okay, Ephraim you get here and Judah you get here. What did the Levites get? If you remember, they didn't get any land. But what was the Lord's promise to them? He said, I am thy part in thine inheritance. What an amazing thing. What's our part in Christ? What's the inheritance that we have in him as we consider God will choose as our inheritance? And he picked that for that picture. And we can look back on that. And now we can consider what do we have in Christ? What sort of inheritance do you want? 
Now, if God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, why would we ever think we could do better than that? Why would we ever think that we could doubt that? Fascinating thought, huh? But how often do they come about or in our own actions proven out? Where does that thought come from that somehow I know better and he just doesn't understand me or my situation, right? Where's that come from? But yet they always come, the doubt, or he has a lesser plan for me. I have greater plans. I'm going to be great, right? <laughs> but somehow he has lesser Or he has evil for me. Where does that thought come from? Or he doesn't have the right thing for me. He should know the things that I need. I need um, a car and I need a house and I need eight hours of sleep or more. I need, I need, and you just go down whatever list that you have of what you think you need. Why do I think he doesn't know these things and what he has for me is, is less than that? Or where does the thought from, he, he, he's out to get me. If I surrender unto him just, just a little bit, he's really going to put me the, through the ringer. He is really going to, he's probably going to send me a place that I hate, or he's going to make me live somewhere I don't want to, or he's going to make me, and where do those thoughts come from? Or he just wants to keep me down and out. Not to have any fun, I'm He's going to force me to live a boring life. He just doesn't want, doesn't let me do whatever I want to do. Just not fair. <laughs> or he just is out to punish me. Where do those thoughts come from as we consider this great king of ours, the one that we should be clapping unto, right? Because of the excitement of what he's done. The one we should be shouting unto with that voice of triumph, right? that victory that he has won. Uh, and the inheritance, why would I ever want less than what he has? You know, consider uh, Ephesians. I'll read some verses out of there. Ephesians 1 that, that speaks of the inheritance that he has chosen for us. Uh, verse 11, chapter 1, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will, that we should be the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ. I mean, that's an amazing thought. He gave us his inheritance where we should be the praise of his glory as we simply desire just to point to him and his victory. Colossians Chapter 1 speaks of these things too. This amazing prayer that Paul prays on behalf of the Colossians. Chapter 1, I'll pick it up in verse 9. So 9 through 14. It says, For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you, and to desire that ye might be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. If you ask God for wisdom, will he give it? Yes, he will. We have access to his knowledge, his will, uh, spiritual understanding. Just read the, the Proverbs. All right there. Amazing. That we might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power, unto all patience and long suffering with joyfulness, giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Wow, that's quite the inheritance. What about what Peter writes? 
Peter chapter 1, or 1 Peter. Uh, pick it up in verse 3. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto, the, unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time, wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptation. That the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold, that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen ye love, in whom though now ye see him not, Yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Huh, sounds kind of like Psalm 47, doesn't it? The singing of praise and the shouting of triumph. And receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls, of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that shall come unto you. What an inheritance, incorruptible, undefiled, doesn't fade away, reserved there in heaven for you. Good reminders always defer to the Lord, right? Let him be the one who cho chooses. Now, uh, a bad example, I guess, if you will, David was given the choice. Remember, he sinned. He numbered the people, shouldn't have done that. And then he was presented with, with three things that were going to happen. Three bad things, right? Who would want to choose that? What did David say? Lord, you choose. It's in your hands. How, how could I choose such a thing? Um, something that someone wrote in the, in the 1600s. So I like coming across these things because it shows that we're really no different. Yesterday, today, tomorrow, the people are, are the same through time says that it is reported of a woman who, being sick, was asked whether she was willing to live or die. She answered, which God pleases. But said one, if God should refer it to you, which would you choose? Truly replied she, I would refer it to him again. <laughs> right back to him. Thus that man obtains his will of God, whose will is subjected to God. You know, we desire to, to know the will of the Lord, right? I want to know your will, and I want to follow in it. Well, as soon as you surrender your will to his, guess what you know? We are not to be troubled that we have no more from God, but we are to be troubled that we do no more for God. Wow, that's quite a thought-provoking thing, isn't it? We shouldn't be troubled what we don't have from him, but we should be troubled by what we do not do for him. If the Lord be well pleased with your persons, should not you be well pleased with your conditions? There is more reason that you should be pleased with them than that he should be pleased with you. <laughs> wow, <laughs> that's quite a stinger. <laughs> Believers should be like sheep, which change their pastures at the will of the shepherd, or like vessels in a house, which stand to be filled or emptied at the pleasure of their owner, knowing that the, ma the good shepherd, he knows, the master of the house, he knows what's, what's good and what's right. So how should we be doing things now? Go back to Colossians again. It says, and whatsoever ye do, do it heartily, as to the Lord and not unto men, knowing that the Lord, that knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for ye serve the Lord Christ. Now you think of how do we come by such an inheritance? How do we get what he chooses? Well, the simple answer, right? Jesus came to save sinners. He came to rescue the captive. He came to provide mercy for the condemned. 
Now, Jesus didn't come to condemn the world because the world already stood condemned, right? But to save. The eternal answer to this wonderful inheritance. What about the, the, for the right here and now? What does Jesus say? Jesus says, come. Matthew 11. All ye who are heavy laden and burdened, right? Come to him. You get to lay those things down. You get to learn of him. You get to be yoked with him. You'll find rest. You'll learn these things. What a great inheritance that we have, for sure. And you can go back to the, the, the whole thought of God doesn't have good for me. Where does that come from? You, you look at just how Jesus lived and, and what he did. And not only that, what's Jesus going to do at the end? Jude speaks of it. Uh, verse 24. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. That's what he's going to do. He's going to present us faultless with exceeding joy. I mean, that's, to me, very mind-boggling, that that's what he wants to do for me, for any of us. Therefore, how should we come before the Lord now? I think Psalm 43 is, is a great picture of that as well. Um, it's good to go, go through it. I'm just going to read one. It's only five verses, but verse 4 says, Then I will go unto the altar of God, unto God my exceeding joy. So he's going to present me with exceeding joy. Shouldn't I right now be coming before him with exceeding joy? I, I think so. He, he should be our exceeding joy. The first one that we run to, right? The, the, the one that we turn to. The one that we fall upon when times get a troubling. So this lesson of prayer that I had mentioned at the beginning. Philippians chapter 4. Now, familiar verses. Philippians 4, 4 through 7 gives us, a, I think, a good overall picture of coming to the Lord. It says, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Now, familiar verses, right? Are they known verses? Is that just words that I, I should feel good by? Or are they words that you know that when you've done it, it's like, yes, those are correct. Those are right. And, and that whole picture, what's the order? Rejoicing. How does this Psalm 47 go? Well, has lots of rejoicing, singing praises, uh, praying, supplicating, which I think is a word I made up, but the supplications, that's really bringing uh, asks, needs before the Lord. And all with thanksgiving, giving that thanks unto the Lord. Again, I think which is riddled throughout Psalm 47. I mean, you're not coming to the Lord in that way without that idea of thanksgiving, of, of who he is and, and what he's done in our lives. Verse 5, let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Now, moderation, other translations have it forbearance, gentleness, reasonableness, graciousness, uh, considerate, gentle behavior, gentle spirit, uh, yieldingness, you know, that idea of um, really kind of like a, an even-keeled mind. So moderation if you look that up in Webster's 1828, says calmness of mind, equanimity, as to bear prosperity or adversity with moderation. You know, that, that word equanimity, that's a good one to look, look up. We had that in Afterglow a while back, but just that picture. If you have equanimity and your whole focus is on Jesus Christ, then the things of the earth won't either be your sole cause of elation or your sole cause of depression. 
Now think of how many people get wrapped up into the things of the earth and get happy about a certain thing or get depressed about a certain thing. But with equanimity, this moderation, this this idea that I'm Christ and I'm his and, and he has these things in his hand that I don't have to be excited about this this good thing that's happened. I can be excited in Jesus Christ. And I have this good thing. And I don't have to be depressed and upset because of this bad thing that's happened because I have Jesus Christ. And this is in his hands. And I know he's going to take care of it and take me through. So moderation. And I'm very glad it doesn't say, let your complaints be known unto all men. Or let your hatred be known unto all men. Or let your diffidence be known unto all men. And that's a new word that I came across the other day. So I had to throw it in here. Diffidence. It means distrust. Want of confidence. Any doubt of the power, ability, or disposition of others. Hmm. Kind of sounds like, I know what the word says, but that's that diffidence, that distrust of what the Lord would do. Unbelief. Look at the wilderness Israelites. All that they got to see, right, and experience, and yet... What was the issue? Unbelief. I know that happened, but God just doesn't understand. I need more than manna. God just doesn't understand the taste of the leeks and the garlic back in Egypt. God just doesn't understand uh, whatever was crossing their minds. We look at that and go, wow, how can they do that? But we still do it today. This diffident attitude that, that we let everybody know about, right? I call it the, the yeah buts disease. You share the word of God with someone. Yeah, but, and then they go into their woes, as if their woes are greater than the word of God. God's word can't somehow manage that, can't take care of that. So don't get the yeah buts disease. It spreads very easily, and, and everyone will start doing it too, so watch out. But believe God, believe his word, even when we can't understand or, or know what's going on. What's the promise in these familiar verses? The peace of God, which surpasses understanding and knowing, okay, the Lord, you've said this. And even if I only have the example in Joshua 21 where everything came to pass, I can still believe you. But we have so much more, don't we? We have all the prophecies of Christ coming. We have all the prophecies of what he fulfilled. We have all the prophecies that point to all these things that we can go back and say, yep, God faithful there, faithful there, faithful there, faithful there. I have new life in Christ, faithful. Therefore, this thing that's troubling me right now, where can I go to? I can go to the one who is faithful. I know I'm unfaithful, and I know I have lots of worry and doubt and this and that, but I just simply go back to the one that, it's faithful, and the one that has promised, and the one has done, and he's provided all these things. The Lord is at hand. Now, what a picture that is of just how we live our lives, because let your moderation be known. The, the known there is the Greek word ginosko, which is, you know, there's a few words to, to know something, but this is the one where it's experientially. I know it because I've I've done it, or I'm expressing it right now. or And so, let your moderation be known unto men. How do others know? How have they experienced your life, my life? What do they know you by? Do they know you by let your, and whatever you primarily do, fill in the blank, unto all men? Or do they let they know you by your moderation, your trust? and reliance upon the Lord. Now think of how Jesus treated others, how he treated the woman caught in adultery. How should we treat others? Romans 2.4 says, Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance? 
we could let that be known how we live our lives. I sum it up this way. Let your Romans 12 life be known. And that's a prayer that the Lord has given us to to be praying and to desire to live out the, the picture of genuine church. If you haven't read that in a while, go back and read Romans 12. And can I let that be known unto all men? Because the Lord is at hand. How am I to live day to day? Uh, Verse 6, be careful for nothing. Or be anxious for nothing. A good reminder. Why? Because the order, rejoicing, praying, asking, all with thanksgiving. How often do we we change that order or the intent of, of what that is? You know, how often do I maybe not even come at all? Don't even ask the Lord for anything or, you know, going through a, a, a thing and and I am careful for everything or for that thing or whatever it happens to be. I'm anxious, I'm worried, I'm, I'm fighting, I, and I don't even go to the Lord. Or maybe I come complaining or murmuring, demanding, Lord, you must do this and you must do that and, and I don't like this. And I know you're going to choose my inheritance, but I just don't like the way you're doing it, or I don't trust, or just all the things that we come, and then we sulk off and complain and and be very sulky about things. Don't even stick around to hear from them. That's why I really like the Psalms. Because sometimes you come across a Psalm that, that starts that way, right? I don't get it. I'm, I'm in distress. And, and that, that Psalm 43, that's kind of how he comes with, why is my soul cast down? And, oh, man, I'm just down and out. But the great thing about the Psalms is the psalmist sticks around. And then you see the progression and then the reminder of who the Lord is. And the Lord, aren't you glad for his long suffering and his patience and his kindness towards us? And allows us to to even come that way. If I had someone come to that way to me all the time, I'd want to, okay, well, you're done. I'm tired of that. (laughs) But how gracious God is and how long-suffering, his his loving kindness. And just consider, wow, that's, again, the Psalms, the expression of these things of, he is so good. So if we wait, how many times do the Psalms talk about waiting? Being still. Wait upon the Lord. Be still before the Lord. Listen to him. What does he have to say? And when you stick around, what do you find yourself doing? Repenting. Oh, Lord, sorry. Man, my heart is so rotten. Thank you for forgiveness of sin. Thank you that I can come to you at any time. And you are faithful and just to cleanse me of all unrighteousness. Thank you for the verse that says, happy is the man or blessed is the man whose transgression is forgiven. I don't have to wallow in this anymore, but I can now just come and, and, and find that repentance and rejoice and pray and ask for those things that I have need of with thanksgiving. Psalm 37, beautiful picture too. Just do not fret and, and trust in the Lord and rest in the Lord and and all that that is there in that. Because he's not surprised. He's not caught off guard. He, he knows us through and through. The things that we go through, it's not a shock to him. Oh, yeah, I didn't see that one coming. Yep, you're, you have every right to com- be complaining and, and murmuring about this one. Whoops, sorry about that. No, that's not the Lord. He knows. And as we come, guess what we get to see? A picture of our heart as we pour out before him, and he's always right there to clean us up. And prayer, I think, is important that it does go first before the asking. Because prayer is, is that communing with the Lord, talking with him, worshiping him, and simply loving him for who he is. Usually when we come with, with the supplications first, the, the needs that we think we have, many times after we pray, we find out, oh, that's not really something I need. And you can just spend that time worshiping him. 
But the, the, there are things that we can ask for, right, and, and needs that we have. And, and usually, if we come with that sort of emergency idea of all is lost unless this happens, usually that starts fading away when we are reminded that he is on the throne and he does have these things. And now we can just simply ask for, for the true needs that, that we have. And with thanksgiving, what an important thing we have with the Lord, that idea of thanksgiving, being thankful. And you go back to the wilderness Israelites. How often do you read in the book of Exodus, Deuteronomy, Numbers, Leviticus, of the people truly saying, thank you, Lord. See how many times you can find where it says they were very thankful or gave thanks or few and far between. <laughs> Have a few songs that Moses sang and Miriam sang. and and But after that, what's m- most of the co- communication? Hmm, 40 years of that. <laughs> but Thanksgiving. Romans chapter 1 speaks of the importance of thankfulness. Because even though they knew God, yet they were unthankful. And then you go down the, the laundry list of, yikes, I don't want to be that guy. Not a good spot to be. So with Thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. James chapter 4. Great picture of of. Why do some people not have? Well, because they don't ask. Or they ask amiss, you know, asking for things to just spend on their own selves and and whatnot. But just good reminders. But as we come, I believe rejoicing, praying, asking, with thanksgiving, these things sort themselves out. And we're reminded of who he is. And the peace of God, verse 7 which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Ah, peace. That's a good good word, isn't it? And back in Psalm 47, that's where that, that break is, the Selah. That is really, in, in the Hebrew, is a pause. And it really takes notes of, of where you should uh, pause and, and really consider what was before you. What a good place to to pause to and consider. He shall choose our inheritance for us, the excellency of Jacob, whom he loved. And then you continue on. God is gone up with a shout. The Lord with the sound of a trumpet. Sing praises to God. Sing praises. Sing praises unto our king. Sing praises. For God is the king of all the earth. Sing ye praises with understanding. I think that's a a good note to, to... always have there that when we worship, are are we just singing tunes or melodies that that we like or just words here and there? But know that there's with understanding that we don't just sing songs just to sing songs, but who he is, what he's done, declaring his wondrous works, doing all those things and, and to develop this life of worship in our own lives. So that's what's coming off. And how much more when we live that life of worship day to day are we able to confront when the troubles come, the trials come, when we uh, count it all joy, right? When we fall into diverse trials, temptations, like, ah, how can I count it joy? I don't like it. But as we live this life of worship and continue to know who we worship and who he is and what he's done, all his promises God reigneth over the heathen. God sitteth upon the throne of his holiness. The princes of the people are gathered together. Even the people of the God of Abraham, for the shields of the earth belong unto God. He is greatly exalted. So we get to do that now. And we get to do that for all eternity with him. And what an exciting thing that's going to be to to see when we come riding back with him. When the battle that won't be a battle, he ends right away, right? He sets his foot down on the Mount of Olives and the the big crack. And then you have the new temple that's built. And he takes the throne. And, and what an amazing day that will be.
that we get to watch and and see and, and take part in. But right now, what do we get to do? Well, keep pressing on in this wonderful triumph parade in Jesus Christ, right? Day by day. The triumph parade is still the same. And we still get to shout victory unto Jesus Christ, wearing his armor that he provides us, right? Ephesians 6. He provides us armor that, uh, and the amazing thing about this armor, remember like parade uniform or battle uniform, this armor is perfect for every situation. It's perfect for the battle. It's perfect for the parade that we're marching in, this triumph parade in Christ. Um, it's functional. It's battle worthy. And the great thing is it's, it's also perfect for display as we march in a parade. Because even though we battle, right, day in, day out, the spiritual warfare that happens, the great thing is is that no piece of his armor that he gives us ever tarnishes. Just think about that. Does his, is his truth ever tarnished? No. Is his righteousness ever tarnished? Nope. How about his salvation? No. How about his faith? Nope. How about his word? Nope. How about his gospel? None of that tarnishes. So the question is, would we ever take that armor off? We shouldn't, right? I forget who said it, but it's always stuck with me because I think it's funny, but don't be a spiritual streaker. Keep the armor on. Because <laughs> it's... It's perfect to, to, to go to bed in. It's perfect to wear through the day. There's, there's no time where it's like, ugh. I mean, if you're really wearing true armor, you, you're like, oh, this is, wow, it's too heavy to wear all the time, and it's too uncomfortable, but his armor is perfect. And it's always perfect for display, and it's always perfect for the battle. And a couple verses to, to leave us off with. 1 Corinthians 15, 55 through 58. Which says, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. So as we continue on, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. This victory that we have in Christ Jesus. So Lord Jesus, we do thank you for that victory. Lord, thank you truly that you so love the world, that you gave your only begotten Son, that whosoever, Lord, thank you for the simplicity. Thank you uh, that... I'm a, simply a whosoever, Lord, and I get to come to you, Lord. Thank you uh, for the belief and the re- receiving of that wonderful, eternal gift, Lord, life in you. So I pray that you would strengthen us. Lord, thank you for the equipping that you do. Lord, your word. You declare that your word is profitable, Lord, for all these things, Lord, for equipping us for Uh, the works and righteousness that you have for us, Lord. And Lord, as we go forth, Lord, that we would wear your armor. Lord, wear it and declare your victory. Everything pointing unto you, Lord. We love you. Give you all the glory, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.